Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati. Brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Well, hi, everybody. Lisa Tarmati here at Pushing the Limits. It's fantastic to have you back again with me this week. I have another fantastic guest that I've managed to um, meet this week. I was at a women's conference in Wellington. And I met some fantastic ladies down there. Shout out to everyone who was at the Women's Leadership Conference. Um, It was absolutely uh, awesome to to be down there and be amongst um, amazing ladies. And one of the ladies that I got talking to afterwards is Lisa Whiteman. So welcome to the show, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. Uh, We're two Lisas here today. Um, Now, Lisa is, um, I'm not even going to say what she is because she's actually got such a broad, so I'm going to let her do it, uh, a broad area of interest. Um, and, and so many projects that she's um, working on that I thought would be really beneficial for my audience today to hear from Lisa and to get her take on a, on a few different things. So Lisa, you're in Wellington. Now, by, by trade or by profession or whatever you want to call it, you're a podiatrist. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's where you started your journey, but you've also gone into a number of other areas. Lisa, can you just give us a, a brief overview of what it is that you do? Sure. Um, It's a really difficult question to answer, Lisa, and I always struggle. I need a better elevator pitch around this. Um, So so my day-to-day work, my day-to-day role, um, I look after an umbrella organization to support podiatry business owners to have both successful businesses, but also um, to drive clinical excellence and share their expertise. So we're nationwide. Mm-hmm. Um, the group is called Resonance. It's Resonance Podiatry Group, and there's a reason why Resonance comes up a lot in um, in a number of my my brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Yeah, so I manage businesses and I manage clinical outcomes, and um, that's my day to day. As a segue from that, I also do quite a bit of work in leadership and development in other sectors. Um, areas as diverse as the music industry. So I've worked with a musician in her business. Um, In uh, another business I work with in the Bay of Plenty is around positive reinforcement training for horses. So it's a different way. So this is another another business um, and quite a unique unique skill set. So I work on businesses. I work in leadership. Um, and I have a passion for noticing life. <laughs> and I like to notice with intent. Yep. I don't want to live life just going through the motions. So noticing life has brought me to have a blog, mm-hmm. and it's called The Being Project, and my blog there is just to talk about stuff. It, it's diverse as, you know, pressure or stress or pain or relationships or communication um they're all areas i mean i guess yeah it is it's about i'm challenging myself to intentfully live my life every single day does that make sense yeah absolutely and in whatever area you're interested in that's where you go down the rabbit hole on that area sort of thing and and generally lisa it's the things that pop out of a conversation (laughs) So you can guarantee you watch my blog over the next week or two. Yeah, our conversations will yeah because you will spark a need for me to write something. 
That's that's fantastic. And, and Lisa and I are both, we've, we've just been talking before we got on this uh, recording, we're eternal students and we're always looking for what is the latest and, and newest and the up with the science. And Lisa is also a biomechanic. She's got some other stuff that she's going to add in too. You've got a charity as well. Um, but let's talk a little bit about your biomechanic side of things because obviously a lot of the people that listen to my show are runners. Yes. Um, yep. So tell us a little bit about your biomechanic background and, and what you do there. So as a, as a podiatrist, obviously we're interested in gait. So walking gait, running gait. And I found I had a particular, I've always loved physics. So the physics of motion and levers. And so it was a natural place for me to specialize and gravitate through my clinical career. Um, so rehabbing run runners from injury on one side and then more recently looking at how we can improve performance in runners. So um, extend them so that they can achieve the goals they want without them being broken. Because you know the running statistics are huge. We're going to have 80% of our runners in any 12 months right. are going to have a running injury. Yeah. Um, so it's how do we navigate through those things? So I spend a, um, a lot of I've spent a lot of time learning both biomechanics, function, kinematics, kinetics. You know how we run, how we move, um, and then the science of injury. So um, like looking at the fact that not only are we um, adaptable from a neurology perspective or neuroplastic, we're also bioplastic. Mm -hmm. Our tissues have the ability to regenerate yep. and to get stronger. It's how we find the um, for an athlete that sweet spot where they're getting stronger, but before they're going to break. Yeah. So I'm fascinated in, in in that area of potential. That's I mean, and that's for us too as coaches is a really fine line between overtraining and your athletes breaking down and optimal performance exactly um, and it's a really so um you've got a uh can we talk about the the the, the um tool if you like of that you're working on the um the running vibe um yep. thing can you tell us a little bit about that just this is something that's cutting edge and new people so it's coming it's not yet on the market but this is what's coming so i've been i've been working for um the last five years be coming up five years on a project research and development about um, looking at whether we can pick up markers in someone's running gait, so specific metrics in their running gait that put together can give us a really accurate indication of their performance. So that's the power they're producing um, and their efficiency at bound to shift their body forward. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I've been working on and we've gone through pilot um, we've done pilot, done trials and pilot studies, and we have a patent. Wow. Um, we've done a patent, and um, our next step is to go to commercialization. So it's something. The goal was there's a lot of complicated metrics out there, Lisa. Yeah, and they're really hard to understand, and they're really heart rate is a, is is great. That's nice and simple. We can understand that. Um, you start adding layers and layers and layers to that. It can be overwhelming for the athlete. So the goal was something really simple that looked at the ability for you to take your body and efficiently move it forward. 
Yep, and not so. So we're talking about your gait and your the so your, your time of your feet on the ground, your ground resistance, your, um, your, cadence. your cadence. What we're not when what we're not talking about is those specific pieces of form. So um, what we know is that the metrics that we put we that we gain from the sensor. We can alter those by things like um, increasing hip extension or increasing knee flexion. So what we wanted, um, I guess I often call it, we want the best, the most bang for our buck. Yeah. Meaning we want one number that to alter it or to improve it, there will be some very simple changes that you'll need to make. So it could be increased cadence. It could be um, a little bit more high steppage. It could be a little bit more hip extension. It could be a little bit of a tweak to the the position of the pelvis but rather than having to measure those things yep. measuring the output yeah, of those things one metric which makes life a lot easier and simpler so um you know as running coaches we're obviously very interested in this because um it's very hard uh to well, we have a set of rules that we all uh, teach you know in regards to biomechanics and, and what it, what constitutes and this changes obviously because we're getting new research all the time as you'll know um, so we can generally say that you know um, a high cadence is a, is a better way to run and we don't want to be planting our legs in the ground and we want to keep our hips stable and things like this but this is going beyond that the mechanics of that and looking at this one metric which will tell you whether you're improving the force forward or not yes. yep exactly that so rather than the so for you you'd probably still do that stuff yeah right? you do it exactly the, the, we know these things we know that cadence is important we know ground contact time is important what we want to achieve is that runners out there practicing this new technique that you may have guided them through and they want immediate instant feedback, feedback. that they yep. are achieving that step by step by step Wow. And that's our, our goal. Um, we know that gait, um, and this is in the science, we know that gait retraining is definitely doable. Yeah. We know that gait retraining takes a minimum of 12 weeks mm -hmm. and then it has to be continuously tuned until it becomes that muscle memory. Yeah. Um, so I would tend to say to my athletes, it's going to take you a year yeah. to be able to confidently say you've altered your gait. In a month that, imagine if you had feedback that you were on task in your training runs. You knew that you could hold that for 5K, but you can't hold it for 10. What do we need to do in the gym to improve your, your capacity to that, of that load? Yeah. You know how you're going. So that, that's, what we're, we're, um, that's what we're working on. It's very exciting. And talking about it, um, I get re invigorated yeah i heck i heck yeah and, and it's a long process to get something like this to market so I it's can a imagine slog it's an ultra marathon in itself but this is coming and so um uh people watch out for this in the in the in the hopefully near future um what is now you've got podiatrists all through the country and some of those do video gate analysis or do they do all do live Gait analysis in their businesses. Can we? Yes. So, yeah. so with um, so with the resonance group, we have everyone does video gait analysis. Analysis. Um, the ones that specialise more in that running, uh, running analysis, or it could even be running for other sport. Yep. So we see, you know, a lot of the footballers, the yep. rugby, um, or the netballers. 
we use an, uh, three different forms of gait analysis. One, we do mobile motion capture. So that's using a mobile uh, HD camera and it can be um, on the field, on the court. So you're looking at, you might be looking at landing skills or you might be looking at takeoff skills or you know, there may be a particular thing you want to assess, not just running. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do dual camera 2D um, video capture using treadmill. So we've got two cameras, one at the back, one at the side. So we're doing that. And there's a really good validity between or correlation between running on the road and running on a treadmill. So yep. the difference in kinematics is very, very minor. And we know the science of that. So that's, right. that works yep. well. Yes, um, and the third that we do, which is unique for New Zealand, is we do 3D, um, both running and walking gates. So we use a 3D capture camera yep. that um, plots all the points, creates an avatar and looks at what's loading correctly, what's not loading correctly. Um, so that's really unique, and we're the only clinics in the country to be using 3D motion capture. Mm. So we'll be able to, perhaps we can talk afterwards about um, hooking us up with that so that we can talk to, I mean, we're doing, we're just about to launch video analysis, like online video analysis, but yes. that has got its limitations. You know, we can look at, the bigger areas of change that we can improve upon, but it's not looking 3D. It's not, you know, doing the stuff that you were doing. So perhaps we can uh, work out something after this conversation (laughs) (laughs) for our athletes and so on, at least the ones in New Zealand. Um, Now, let's change tack a bit a little bit. So you've got obviously a very big science background and biomechanics. Mm -hmm. Um, You've also got a charity that you're involved in. Now, just tell us a little bit about that one. Um, so Today's Future is, um, is the name of the charity, and Today's Future is an education-based charity to, su- to support and facilitate a pathway, um, a learning pathway for gifted and neurodiverse young people. So we're particularly focusing on young people between the ages of 14 and 24, mm-hmm. and we know those are critical. Um, if you don't fit if you don't fit into society or you feel you, if you don't fit into school, which is a big thing, um, and you might struggle with relationships, this is the time where we see a rise in anxiety, um, depression, and really concerning. Um, and often yeah, these, these young people, these young adults, are functioning at a really high level academically, yeah. don't have a peer group to relate to. They often don't relate well to their, their, own, um, their own peer group. Mm-hmm. and um, we find that a lot of them will shut down. Mm-hmm. So we lose this potential for the future. And, and I have a strong belief that it's our kids of now that hold the keys yeah. to our future survival. Yeah. So what today's future wants to do is to nurture these kids through into adulthood so we have open, long, lifelong learners who um, uh, have the courage and it's mental fortitude, Lisa, the stuff you work on yeah. day in and day out, mental fortitude to be able to face whatever the future has to throw at us and this planet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's small, it's growing, um, and we have resource issues like every other small yeah. business or organisation. Um, we just want to try and make a difference. Try and make a difference to individual kids' lives who are, yep. you know, so these are some of the gifted kids but who have maybe... Um, uh, certain learning difficulties or difficulties fitting in with their groups, their peer groups, yes. and, and yep. social social difficulties. So that's a really good thing. Um, so you've got a very very diverse background, and I know we were talking earlier um, 
about uh, your life as well. <laughs> and you've got a, a very diverse background. You've had a brain injury, so we connected over brain injury and talking about rehabilitation. You know, we obviously, um, Lisa heard my story with mum. Do you want to share like your insights on, on your journey with that? A little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm happy to, and I'm reasonably new as well in in, in this journey. So I um three years ago I unfortunately um fell off my horse, which wasn't ideal, and broke my back. So mm -hmm. I broke um, T12, L1, and L2, and I did what's called a retropulsion burst fracture of T12, which is where the the part of the um the fracture ends up in the spinal cavity in the mm -hmm. spinal column. Wow. So, you know, near the spinal nerves. And it was really unfortunate. And amongst all of that, I hit the deck with my head. And you know, generally, people recover really well from a single episode head injury. So I was unconscious for a very short period of time. I was a really low-risk patient. Mm -hmm. The thing that no one asked is, have you had a head injury before? Mm-hmm. This was my third head injury. Wow. Now, you would know from probably your research that that puts me in a completely different camp. Mm -hmm. I should have been looked after quite differently than I was. So I was sent home from hospital after a week in a spinal brace from my chin to my butt. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, and I was in that for 16 weeks. Oh. I didn't have surgery because yep. I chose not to. Yep. And my back's pretty darn good um as long as i say strong and my core lisa exactly yes we've, that's so did you hear that everybody if you've got a, a fair back you need to have a strong core that's it and don't necessarily yeah jump into the operation side of it too quickly and it's interesting because the more again coming from i'm just doing a little segue here coming from the sports medicine the australasian sports medicine and science conference there was significant talk about don't operate, yeah. avoid, and not just for spinal, but for arthritis, knee arthritis, foot arthritis. Wow. The pain that we are experiencing, I have a passion for pain science. Tell us um, about that. The pain that we experience is not due to tissue damage. The pain we experience is due to the perception of our central nervous system around how safe we are or not. So uh -huh. pain is our response to a feeling of not being safe and it can be heightened by fear uh -huh. so fear heightens pain the longer you've had pain um, the less it is linked to tissue damage wow so the chronic pain is actually it's a more of a, a psychosocial yeah yeah yep. It's, it's more and um, and around belief systems so if somebody tags their pain to their body part like yeah. I, I broke my back I have back pain if I believe that I'll continue to have pain yep if I understand that actually my back's fine and I'm strong um then my pain will reduce and I have to tell you this wee story so what they did and, and this is in the research um what they did is they used VR so put a VR headset on and had somebody look at themselves with this really strong back. So broad wow. shoulders, beautifully muscled. So it was their back, it was their body, but it was it was strong. Powerful, yeah. And they asked them to do stuff. And they did what they were asked to do with the strong back. Then they gave them this really weedy, bony, weak, hunch looking back and asked them to repeat the same tasks. They, they couldn't. 
They couldn't lift the weight. They didn't have the mobility. They were stiffer. This is how much the mind oh, yeah. is at the crux of everything we do. Of everything we do. And when we when we diagnose and when we get a label and when label. we're told we have a back injury and uh, we think we're powerless to do anything. Have you heard of the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza? Yes, indeed. Oh, wow. Okay, so he's amazing. I mean, he healed his own back through visualization. Yep. Um, took him, I don't know how many weeks was it, 16 weeks or something. And now he teaches about the belief. Have you also heard about Dr. Bruce Lipton? Yeah, I absolutely read everything of his oh, biology yeah. belief. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I'm all over that. So we're both on the same wavelength here. So people, basically what what these two doctors, Dr. Joe Dispenza, who I highly recommend you go and search out, and Dr. Bruce Lipton, who I've mentioned a couple of times on this podcast, are looking at the biology of belief. So whatever you believe and you put in your mind, carries through into your body and affects your actual physical body and this is why it's so important that we're not telling ourselves we're going to be sick or we are weak or we have this repeatedly and over and over again because you are creating a self-fulfilling prophecy basically exactly and when we're talking about that it does it it what's happening the mind filters through the body it changes not just the the, the structure that we think of, like our bones and our muscles, it changes the structure of every single cell. Wow. It's down to the, it's down to more, it's molecular. Mm. Um, and I think that that's the most mind blowing thing. And with Joe's work, the whole thing around visualization, um, again, in the, this is because it's wonderful, it's coming in through the science, the real, you know, yeah. that's coming into it's conferences. Yep. They talk about, um, the visualization is priming the brain for success. Yeah, it, it's critical. It's a critical way of reducing that the pain people are in. It's also critical for performance. Totally. I mean, I've I've preached this for a long time as an athlete preparing for big races. That visualization is one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle. Um, I had a a, a guy actually was on my podcast last week, Matt Scrafton, who who a few weeks before the event had an injury. And he was training for 100K. And he was in a very bad space mentally. And he, you know, said he was, uh, reached out for help. And I didn't spend time working on his injury, his foot. Uh, you know, Neil dealt with that as best as we could, but he wasn't going to be able to train much up until the event. And he was going to have to go in blind and under train, per se. So we spent the time concentrating on his mentality and the way he approached it and strengthening his mind. And the, the just, you know, within 48 hours, the shift in his mindset was huge. Um, and suffice to say, he went on, and even though he hadn't been able to train, had a fantastic race, knocked it out of the ballpark. Because he went in with a strong mindset, and because he went in with a belief that he could do it, rather than going in, which is what we all tend to do, I've had an injury, things haven't gone to plan, therefore I'm not going to be able to do it, and even if I'm standing on the start line, I don't believe I can actually do it. Exactly. And of course, you're right. Yes. And you're whatever right. you believe, as Henry Ford said, and you believe you can or you can't, then you're right. And, so and, and this is, we, we put so much, and you know, my husband um, yeah, does Ironman and triathlon. And if you look at that lead up, they do the lead up, they do the big, big, big training days and then weeks, and then they have their rest week. And then what do, does everyone do? I'm going to drop into nutrition stuff here, Lisa. They all go out and have pasta party. Yeah, terrible. For, for <laughs> I just don't know how in this day and age when we know so much about nutrition, 
is it that it's almost like it's so instilled and embedded in our culture, yeah. even if it makes no sense in the science. But it used to make sense in it. Yeah, we used to think load up with carbs, you fill your glycogen spikers up to the top, but you're loading it with shit carbs and probably stuff that you wouldn't normally eat. So then you're double distressing your body. Um, <laughs> and then you're overloading it. So we don't get our, our athletes at all to carb load. No. We, we want them to be on good, healthy nutrition. And that depends, and we work on the epigenetic side of it, if they do that, that program, if, if we have that knowledge available. Um, and then we get them just to eat a little bit more and hydrate a little bit more and drip, sleep a little bit more in the preparation and focus on the meditation, focus on the breathing techniques, lowering the stress levels, lowering yeah, which, the fear. And that to all lowers the inflammation, right? Totally. The, the, this, this whole mind-body connection, the whole, you know, it's not just nutrition, it's not just meditation, it's not just training. It's this combined, multi-pronged approach that really leads to ultimate success and long longevity in the sport as well. And even if we take that out of the sport, and I guess where I started, that my, my big goal or my, my, my daily approach to life is, is um, noticing stuff, noticing everything with intent. Mm -hmm. And if we stop going through life half asleep, as most of us do, you know, statistics are, are dire. We've got 85% of, of people hate their job based on a 2018 Gallup poll. On average, it's, what is it, 5.2 hours per day watching telly and four hours on social media is the average. Wow. You go to work for eight hours hating what you do, you travel there and back, you spend the next nine hours either on social or watching television, you have to eat and sleep, That's that becomes life. Yeah. And um, I think that our approach to our, I'm hoping, if we can approach our running our life in the same way with the same intentfulness as we approach our running is everything going to get better yes yeah and and this is um again going back to dr joe and, and dr lipton they talk about the power of the subconscious mind that it's you know runs 95 percent of our day up to 99 percent. in other words we're running on autopilot you know when you're driving home and you're listening to music and singing you're actually doing the singing maybe consciously, but you're driving it subconsciously. And, you know, that's great because it means that we can do things automatic and it's easier. We don't have to overthink it. And when we're changing and developing a ritual, that's why it's hard at the beginning to develop a habit because yes. we haven't got those grooves in our brain where it's all subconsciously run. By the same token, that, that subconscious controls our behavior to a degree that we're not aware of where that behaviors come from. So we've got this programming that we've had since childhood usually, or something that's happened traumatically and that's got into our programming. You're useless, you're not able to run, you're, too, you're always fat, you're whatever it is. You can't speak, you're, you know, you're, not, you're not gonna be good at this. Whatever that programming was at that time that's now sitting in your subconscious. And you can read all the personal development books you want and you can consciously try and work on this, but if that subconscious program is running its own ship, you're fighting against David versus Goliath. It's, it's such a powerful force. And this is why going in, doing the meditation, doing self-hypnosis, doing the, you know, definitely doing the conscious exercises as well, the affirmations and the visualization and all that sort of stuff, but trying to go in and not let that subconscious just run right on its own without any, oh, I'm doing that thought, again that I don't want to do you know and I'm 
I'm constantly working on my own sets of behavior. You know, I get very, um, I've got a temper and I get really angry and frustrated at the computer mostly. Um, <laughs> and, and now I'm trying and I'm not saying I'm perfect at all by any stretch of the imagination. Um, when I feel that frustration and that, it's not working. Ah, want to chuck it out the window. I'm damaging myself. When I'm feeling that stress, I'm damaging myself. So I try and get up and I try and leave it for five. <laughs> yep. And and I think one of the, the the really important things there, and we know it's critical. And again, it's in the science. We are designed. We must move. Yes. Um, I'm reading a fascinating book. The name is escaping me, but we can talk about it another time. Um, which looks at the connection between us becoming bipedal as having walking on two legs as organisms yeah. as opposed to being on four and the connection between that and our consciousness developing yep. and our cognitive development. And they're talking about how, and it's in so much science, if you, if you go and Google movement, movement is medicine. We have to move. So when you get frustrated with your computer, got nothing to do with the computer but I bet you at least some of it is a smidgen that Lisa needs to get moving. Yes exactly and I don't think it's just me although I'm probably an extreme case of cancer still <laughs> but I when I'm and this is what I something I miss now that I'm not doing the long distance running for example um, and my my business partner and coach Neil Wagstaff pointed me out this to me one day he said I said, I'm really frustrated at the moment. I'm feeling really down and, you know, and I've got all these tools to deal with it, but where's it coming from? And he said, well, you used to have hours running and that was time for your brain to sort stuff out and meditate in a way and, and you were in motion all the time and um, it gave you just your, your brain time to, to process everything. You don't have that now. You're going from one, you know, computer job to another computer job to another computer job to working with mum and to you know and it's just you don't have that that space and that time and, and that makes not, you get a <laughs> it, it does so it's so movement is it's it's great for mental health it's also exceptionally good for creativity so we our creative brain finding novel solutions novel outcomes problem solving in our life happens far better when we're moving than when we're still the book it's called Perfect Motion. Just dropping it in there. Perfect Motion. Perfect Motion. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very good and comes from a very strong science and um, you know, historical and scientific basis. It's, it's very, very good. Um, so movement is, is key. Movement is medicine. Movement. And when we're injured, can I just jump back to athletes? And whether it's athletes or you know, the, my injuries, whatever, um, movement is the only way to rehabilitate in the old days if you sprained your ankle or you tweaked your knee what did they do Stop they immobilized you stopped being active immobilizing does not do anything to heal tissues tissues heal with movement now sometimes we might put a patient in a moon boot but we're putting them in the moon boot so they can keep emulating keep moving keep walking uh -huh. and then we'll give them some limited you know, exercises to start that strengthening um, happening or rehabilitation happening. But to rest something because it's sore is the worst thing you could possibly do. Yeah. Now, this is a really, like, this is an interesting and dangerous piece of, um, um, like, I've got the opposite problem. Like, I'm um, selfishly, I'll ask you a question. I've got an injury with plantar fasciitis and 
um, I keep running and I do all the foam rolling and the foot release and the ice things and the whatsoever's and you know they, they help um, but I keep running because <laughs> I can't stop running because I'm addicted to, to, to training um, is that bad then? Because I'm like, or is this a good thing? And I'm, it's okay to keep, I mean, pushing, in other words, pushing through injuries, running through injuries is also yep. not good, is it? Well, it depends, doesn't it? It depends on there's this, this, this safe, that safety buffer yep. between um, you're self-protecting, so therefore you're not, you, you're not, you could actually do a little bit more. You're not going to break. There's that safety barrier and then at the top is the point that you're going to break. Now, if you, Lisa, decide to keep on going to the point of breaking, it's not going to turn out well for you. Yeah, yeah. So it's knowing where you are in the middle of that. So I'd be asking you a few questions. Now, plantar heel pain, we call it chronic plantar heel pain these days mm -hmm. or chronic plantar heel pain syndrome. We don't use plantar fasciitis anymore because, firstly, itis means inflammation mm -hmm. and there is no inflammation. Oh. to be found of the plantar fascia, right? That's so huge. we've changed the, the same with um, like Achilles tendonitis, gone. It's, it's Achilles tendinopathy because wow. there, there is no inflammation. So um, anyway, those just changes in our medical world. Um, so it's the most heel pain, chronic plantar heel pain is the most common injury that we see at any one time with 15% of the adult population suffering from it. At any time. At yep. any one time. So the things, the questions that I would be um, asking you would be things like, have you got first step pain in the morning when you first get out of bed? Um, how many steps does it take for that pain to reduce? For probably four minutes or five minutes of walking around the house. Yep, and then it reduces right down again. That's yep. right. And then it's, if you sit at your computer and get up, does it flare yep. up again? Yes, it does. It does? Yep. And if you go for a run, does it get worse? No, I can cope with it. That's the dangerous thing. Of course, when I'm warmed up, I can. I don't feel it as bad. And so I think I'm not so bad, so I keep training. And yep. then, again, the next morning when I wake up again, I'm in agony. Okay, and what do you wear on your feet during the day at home? Um, just at home, uh, bare feet usually. Yeah, so the first thing, yep. listening to your story, and I haven't examined you no. <laughs> because I'm not sitting with you. Um, the first thing I would do would be to suggest we change that one factor. Mm -hmm. that you have, and I'd probably suggest something, I don't want to do a brand push here, but something like a, no, um, an ortho heel jandal, something like that, that has a contoured sole and a slightly thicker heel to forefoot. Okay. And that you don't do anything barefoot. Okay, so it's a bit like um, Achilles. You shouldn't, if you've got an Achilles, don't run around barefoot. Um, the, yeah, because the Achilles, the interesting thing, Lisa, is the Achilles and the, plant, the plantar fascia, it runs from the heel to your toes, yep. underneath your foot, and the Achilles, it runs from your calf to your heel. Mm -hmm. The two function together. Yes. It's like a cradling. Yep. Right? So you should be doing your calf work. Yeah, I am. You've got heel pain, so it's that's good. Yep. Um, so all I want to do is change the forces mm -hmm. on that, that, that fascia. Yep. Alter those forces at the points that you're normally in pain. Mm -hmm. Let's see what it does to your pain. Remembering that pain and tissue damage are not always exactly correlated. So I'd start with that one thing only and change Fantastic. nothing else. I've got a tip. I've got a free tip. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah, and, and like you say, like, 
because the science is changing all the time. Like we've been teaching, you know, um, certain things, plantar fasciitis, and we all know that that does take a while to, to, to heal. It does take its time. Um, um, but it's a pain in the ass, you know, and there's so many, we, we try and avoid injury, obviously, as much as we can. So, um, and it's one of the most common things that we see coming up again yep. and again and again. Um, so I'll try that. I will not go around bare feet anymore. I'll actually at least put some shoes on when I'm just walking around the house even. Um, yes. And I know, know that works for the Achilles because, of you know, when you – and when people are going from a, a cushion shoe to a zero-drop shoe, that's when we often see athletes get problems as well. Yep. Is that your and, and, look, again, they can adapt. It's balancing up in that comfort, in that little safety zone. Yep. It's where, where, how am I going to build their tolerance to new load without yep. breaking them? And that is the challenge of every trainer out there. Yeah, the over versus under training. Yes. Um, we did talk briefly, we'll have to wrap up in a minute, but um, the bioplasticity thing, we were talking uh, before we got on this call, uh, recording, um, about the fact that different people have abilities to withstand different amounts of pain in regards to whether the body, whether that individual thinks they're hurting themselves or not. And I said to you, I know that in my life and through lots and lots and lots of training, I could get to a point where I could, em I nearly killed myself a few times because I, I would ignore my body's signs and signals to the point of, of stupidness looking back. Um, but, and, and I said to you, by the same token, now that I haven't been doing the super long stuff for a couple of years, that horizon of that ability to go and push out to that level is, is also gone. But do you reckon that bioplasticity, once you've got it, you've, you, it will come back quicker? It'll, it, and that's what science is telling us, and this is recent, this is from last week's conference, the science is telling us that if we get young people active and moving and resilient and building tissues, when they're younger, even if they spend you know, 10 years sedentary and don't do anything, their ability to return to that is far, it's easier and faster than someone who's never done that when, when they were younger, so wow. starting from scratch. Um, so bioplasticity is around the fact that our tissues are strong. We have huge ability. And one of the things I found fascinating, um, we were talking about the leg bone, the tibia, um, this is at the conference, the tibia of a runner versus a hockey player. And this okay. is something that you guys may find really interesting. So bones adapt with load. We all know that, right? Mm -hmm. So the more you load, and we know that people who run have higher bone density than people that are sedentary. Mm -hmm. Okay. What I didn't know, and I, I learned last week, is that if we look at the shape, if we do a cross-section of a tibia of a runner, the tibia will be from front to back, elongated. So it'll, it'll be long front to back and quite narrow. Yep. If you do the same thing with a hockey player, so cross-section of a hockey player's tibia, it will be the bone. This is the bone. The bone oh. will be wider wow. as well as long. Mm -hmm. So what that suggests, that we that, and this is what they were talking about, is that multi-directional exercise. Stop, start, push forward. Side, yep. yep. Um, that is dynamic and high frequency is the best protection from, from bone, bone injuries. From bone injuries, wow. Yep. So um, decreases the risk of stress fractures is one of them. Now, you've talked about having heel pain. 
The other biggie in our runners is what we call medial tibial stress syndrome, yep. shin splints. Yep. Okay, part of that is quite possibly because we're not doing enough multi-directional work to build that width in the bone. Wow. We're only going in one direction. Um, so that was brand new to me, thanks to Sports Medicine Australasia Conference. So movement variability. Um, the question they asked of for us to ask of our, our, our patients or of our, in your case, the people that you're training, can you do the same thing in different ways? Mm-hmm. So to try and avoid, so this is where we talk about mix up your shoes, I talk about in my world, wear different shoes and run on different terrains. Wow, that's awesome. As well as cross-training. Yep. So fun. there's some little, that's there's some so much more in this. <laughs> that's some real gems though for us to take away. And what I'll do is I'll get you back on, Lisa, and we'll, we'll go a bit more of a deep dive in the next um, time that we do this uh, on those tips and injury prevention side yep. of it, if you, if you wouldn't mind. Um, I'm going to, yeah, we're going to have to wrap it up for today, Lisa, but you have been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. Now, I'm going to link in the show notes to your group, your website, um, also your charity. Um, and where can people find you on like Facebook or Instagram and that type of thing, Lisa? Um, if it's around um, the biomechanical side, so just find me through Resonance Podiatry. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the easiest way to find me there. And otherwise, probably the links that you're going to use, um, the Being Project as well, there is ways to hook up with me through that as well. Awesome. No, you're fantastic. Well, Lisa, thank you very much for being on the show today. We really appreciate all your insights and your enthusiasm for this topic and um, sharing the latest in science. And watch out for that. What is it? Running vibe. Run vibe. Run vibe. Run vibe. Watch out for that in the future, guys. And um, check that out when it comes on the market. Thanks, Lisa. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.